Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of Q&A Time. I had a great time jamming with Alex Beck. Alex is actually one of the OGs of furniture e-commerce. We had some awesome questions set in, including how to prioritize as an entrepreneur, what to do about building loyalty in e-commerce, and how to navigate the supply chain crisis around the world. Hope you enjoy. Alex, uh, we got a bunch of questions from folks around the country uh, in preparation for this interview. So I wanted to just throw a bunch of them out and um, let's answer them together. Let's do it. Perfect. So I'll read the first one. So um, it's from Jason in Florida. Um, in your experience, what are the some what are some effective strategies for building and maintaining customer loyalty in the e-commerce space? I go first. Go for it. I'll you, okay. you kick it off. You know, that's interesting because I, I was listening to some of your um, previous podcasts and one you had with Edgar Diaz, I believe, I heard just he had this anecdote about how how important it is to serve your customers the right way. And mm -hmm. that some people, he phrased it as like some really cool way I've never heard. Like some people are willing to, to put in the work and do it. And some people aren't. Some people can't humble themselves enough to provide mm -hmm. the greatest customer service imaginable. If there's one tip that I have in general, it's like, you have to serve the customer, even if it costs money. The amount of refunds and, and things that you have to give in the furniture industry to keep a healthy reputation is unbelievable. Yeah. And um, for me, taking care of the customer, like really amazing customer service, investing in that because it's an investment. It's totally an investment. That's been the you biggest know, thing for me. What about you? Well, no, look, I think the, the, the moments that the, I call them like moments of truth, right? Like in, in many situations in an e-commerce experience, it's more or less like one and done. I bought the thing, I'm done. And you kind of go by your way. So you have to think, what are the moments in that journey where you got, you got their eyeballs, right? You got this moment in their life where they're focused on you and it's your website making the sale. It's like at the sale time. And then it's what happens immediately after when the product gets to you, when something goes wrong with the product. So kind of the way I've always thought about it is like mapping out all these moments of truth in the life cycle of your relationship and being like, where do we show up there? Like, how do we want to show up? And I think that the customer service one is the best because when someone needs you most, something goes wrong, right? They're, they're asking you for help. It's the best marketing is when someone says, how do I, can you tell me, et cetera. I mean, they're, they're literally saying, talk, talk back to me. Um, but I, you know, I, I think the way that, that these often really um, get, you know, torpedoed is that someone's like, well, if I did this for one person, I'd have to do this for everybody. And it's like, I could never do that. And that's, I think, a very easy trap to fall into, to think that you've got to be able to create from day one some sort of scalable system of customer experience that will last you, you know, for, for 10 years. It's kind of like take the loss for the first little while. It's just even your time loss, right? And and but get the the kind of the the ethos of what your product is and what your brand is out there. And and by the way, it percolates. How many times does someone take to social saying, I just had this interaction with this company and like, wow that's the, the that's the brand that is making brand in real time chewy does this so well um chewy, and, yeah. and the, the pet store the, the pet uh products company and i think that that's i think the thing that you know is, is so hard for people to realize that it's you can't see where these investments in good service good experiences how they turn into dollars but that's kind of the downstream they totally do it's just you have to do them enough and consistently for, for it to start getting to the surface and people recognize you for it 
I couldn't, I literally couldn't agree with you more. And I really like that, like moments of truth, because I think that concept that you just mentioned, because it allows you to really focus on those moments rather than just this whole nebulous, like entire customer journey. You don't have to be perfect everywhere necessarily. Just figure out where you really do need to be available and helpful. Like in furniture, it's very simple. Um, people need help, a lot of help before placing their order for a high ticket item that they're buying sight unseen and they're going to use every single day, like a couch. So they, we did invest heavily there and with the delivery process, you need to be there when things go wrong because they will go wrong. Those are just examples of those moments that really matter to people and matter to the customer's experience. I like that. So let me maybe flip the dark side of this question, right? So maybe Jason didn't ask this, but it's it's maybe the the, the dark timeline, <laughs> which is, um, you know, what are the, the thing about maybe the traps where you you think you're doing something that is called you know loyalty, um, you know, brand building, and you're actually not like you're either wasting your time or actually. Um, you know, destroying that, you know, and I'll start, you know, I think one of the things that I, that I definitely um, have noticed is that some companies try to be more than what they are. And they think that that is a way to kind of, Oh, well, if they think that we're super big, like we're going to, it'll command a level of respect and they're going to depend on us. And I actually find that it becomes the fakest, most insincere emails and copy and just like like who what what person went from a, a personality to a faceless like cyborg writing an email for like a, an audience that mythically exists in their mind and i find like the, the intentions are all right like we've got to present this way and, but it's so inauthentic i actually find that when i see that like it just it just erodes all my belief that this like that <laughs> what i'm getting into that's so interesting you say that because I started my last company when I was pretty young. I was 26 years old. And at that point, I had the sort of younger person's complex. I'm like, how am I going to sell really expensive items and ship them around the country? And people are depending on me. Like, I have to present as this polished thing that, that you know, in a way, it's, it is true. Like, you have to build trust with your customer in some way. But there are yeah. times when transparency is more valuable than anything. Like yeah. back in the old days, I was afraid that people would look me up and see that I was helping customers. I mean, I, I managed a customer service for our company for the first five years. Like I was really dialed in and I had like, I went so far as to create fake personas. Like I was Dan and it was a big joke in the company. Like, should we send it to you or Dan? I'm like, Dan. <laughs> and I would never do that now because, yeah. um, in fact, I have to p- check myself all the time and just make it okay for couch.com to be started by one person. That's how businesses start. And guess what? Yeah. I'm still going to provide value and a great experience for people. Even if it's me and some contractors, friends that I not contractor, like builders, meaning like independent contractors that or consultants or agencies working with me. That's currently my situation. Um, yeah. You know, I don't have any employees right now. I have people and friends and colleagues who are helping me and agencies that are working with me. Um, and that's working and I'm happy to be transparent about that because I think transparency and authenticity is more valuable these days than like presenting as this, you know, trusted source of something. I totally agree. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So, you know, at, at North one, um, 
one of the things that, that I think has really worked for us is um, all of our customer marketing now comes from me and my email. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we don't do, I don't know, sales at North One or you know, team at North One or hello at northone.com. We tried that at one point. Um, every email comes from me. And by the way, I write them. So it's not that we, you know, and, and I, it, it sounds like insane because we do have, we have a lot of that going out, but they all come from me. You can respond. I actually ask people in every email, like reply to me, like, tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you. And I can't tell you, I have like hundreds of threads with customers from around the country who are responding to my email and telling me what they love, what they hate, what they think about me. Um, and I think like that is, that has been one of the biggest eye openers that, that I had where we just kind of said, let's just, just get super real. Like, if with any luck one day there's a hundred thousand people working here and I won't be able to do that. But until then, like let's take every second we have to build those relationships. And I found that that's, um, that's been one of the most uh, interesting journeys of finding the way people reacted to the first time they got that email from me. And the, like, I think that the reply rate was 45% reply rate from that email. Um, this one email where I started this new mode of, of um, comms with our customers. So yeah, I, I've, I've definitely seen that. <laughs> and you were asking for feedback, like there was a call to action that elicited Every a reply. single email, it says, you know, one ask before I go, please reply, tell me what you think. I'd love to like find out. And sometimes it's very specific to like the email or something just generally. And that's how we even got our half our product roadmap put together. I mean, we had people telling us, you know, it takes too long to deposit a check with you guys. Like seven business days is nuts. And I heard that by like dozens and dozens almost hundreds of customers saying that that's a real problem. And so we went and created a dynamic check clearing where we can kind of clear in, in as fast as one day um, for folks based on a number of kind of different factors that we evaluate. And, and so that, that was the greatest gift. Like I wouldn't have sitting in, in an office, sitting in my, my computer, how would I have guessed that? Right. I would have been thinking something completely out different and, and that brought immediate value. And it's just cause I asked them like, you know, what do you, <laughs> what should I know? How could I improve? That's, this is so funny for me. That's inspiring to hear because I've been thinking about this a lot recently and, um, and, uh, you know, just using like, I've been feeling, uh, concerned that I've used myself and my own persona too much in, in building the brand of couch.com. Um, I'm not certainly not the only couch expert out there, but I do know my stuff. So, and, and hearing that from you makes me feel like I'm on the right track, or at least there you're corroborating my thoughts. I was also talking to my friend, Jim Campbell, who has, um, he runs honeymoons.com and mm-hmm. he, Jim Campbell is all over honeymoons.com as the author of most of the posts. Like his name is like, he is the expert and yeah. there's Jim and then there's honeymoons.com. And they, I think they exist really well together. All that to say, I think authenticity and transparency yeah. really stands out these days because there's so much saturation in online space um, with a lot of like automated crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, especially as, you know, as AI just widens the, like just widens the spigot of how much is coming out. Um, exactly. You know, it, the, it will all eventually sound the same. <laughs> so yeah. let me, let me get to the next one. So from David in Washington, um, as an entrepreneur, how do you prioritize your time and focus on the most impas- impactful tasks of the day? So I'll, I'll jump start this one and then okay. you, you can help me get better at it. <laughs> so this is my thing. 
there is every day I have um, a new page per date. And I'm just looking for one that's like not terrible. I have very bad handwriting, um, unfortunately. But me too. every single day I have two columns on a page. One are my daily three tasks and one are my essential priorities. And daily task is always reach out to five customers, like proactively email them one good vibe, like tell someone they did something great and then read 30 pages. And the read 30 pages one is the one I struggle with sometimes. <laughs> and the other one is like the essential priority is like, if I don't do anything else but these, I could go to bed and not feel like crappy about myself. And what's an example you know, of it's that? A struggle, but it's like, it, it stays on my desk, right? So I can't not look at it from day one. And I think that's been one of the most uh, powerful tools I've had. And I've gone through them all, Asana, you know, Trello, um, ClickUp Monday there. I just, I never stuck with them. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I've tried, I look again, transparent moment. Like I struggle with this mightily, especially with prioritization. It's very hard for me. It always has been. Um, I'm not great at managing time because I have this complex in my mind where I think I can accomplish everything. <laughs> it's yep. really hard to shed that. And it's been difficult for me. So I constantly listen to um, podcasts and self-help books and things of that nature about prioritization. Um, yeah. And I find just like uh, some of my parenting strategies for my children, that certain things will work for a short amount of time. And if the two yeah. column list for you, for instance, or for me doesn't work after three weeks and I'm just not getting to it, then I'll switch it up. So I think switching it up is okay. Um, that could be a little more difficult when you've invested in a tool like a ClickUp or a Monday or an Asana or a Trello. Like I have tried all of them myself and they can be wonderful. Um, but for my personal productivity, yeah, I have to switch it, switch it up a lot. I have a very interesting tip. Something for very abstract. It. Hit me. <laughs> okay. I find that procrastination is one of people's greatest assets. So I try to leverage it as much as I can. And here's what I mean. There's always something that's going to take a long time. I kind of figure out what's the hardest thing. And usually, sadly, it's the most important thing oftentimes. Um, and I put that on my list for the day. Then I put a lot of other stuff and I find that <laughs> naturally I will get everything else done like three times at three times the productivity level, sort of avoiding the big thing that I'll get to at, you know, 12 to 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I'll often get to those things too. Um, but I think, I think using procrastination is, is a great way, sort of a sneaky way to, to get yourself motivated. So let me cap that. I, I, I tried this before to my success, but it just gives me so much anxiety that I sometimes don't. But when I do find that I'm trying to avoid like a big thing that's hard, the thing that has been like the, the game changer is I simply think about the task and I actually think like I map out what's it going to take to do this without doing it. And that's actually been one of the most effective ways for when I actually sit down to do this. I'm not like, oh, you know, I forgot about all these steps. Like it actually makes me, a couple of times it made me reach out in advance. Like, hey, I can actually just ask this person a question that I will need as an input to get that thing done down the line. Like just mapping out, like, how would I all, how would I get every single piece of this done in this crazy hairy task that I don't want to do? 
Um, that's actually been one of the best ways that when it came time to do it, I could get it done at that, you know, 1 a.m. Um, slot. But yeah, it gives me so much anxiety. No, I, I, um, I definitely can relate to that for sure. Like just oftentimes most of these difficult tasks don't actually take that long. So if you sit, sit down and really think about what goes into it, compartmentalizing it and uh, focusing on the different elements, sometimes it could be a lot easier to approach too. Awesome. And let's go last question here. Um, it's actually from uh, Beck in Michigan. So how do you think the global supply chain challenges of recent time have impacted the e-commerce industry and how can a business adapt to these challenges? That's like way more you start on that, Alex, than me, because <laughs> it's, it's, your, it's far more in your swim lane. Sure. Well, in my space, the global supply chain was incredibly affected over the last number of years. Um, and I think what it did, you know, looking back from 2020 now to 2024 over the last three or four years, I think it's just, it's really, uh, it's sort of a wave washed over and something, some companies got washed out to sea or went under, especially in the furniture space. If you were a hundred percent leveraged on importing in 2020, uh, you were in bad shape because the demand was incredibly high and the supply was in, was very, very difficult to come by. So yeah. a lot of traditional furniture retailers or smaller mom and pops, everyone either like went out of business or had to shift their business model. Luckily, my company, Apartment 2B at the time, was uh, about 80% leveraged and made in the USA, made to order goods. And that was an incredible asset for us that we exploited to our, to our great advantage during that time. Um, what I'm seeing now, though, more than anything else, is um, I, think, I think it's brought all these supply chain issues becoming like a societal conversation piece. Everybody <laughs> knows about it. Like talk to my, you know, uncle and be like, Oh yeah, I heard the uh, supply chain is a horrible mess. Cause everybody like heard some news story about it. And what it did is it brought awareness and comfort to the idea that almost everything is imported from overseas. And now you have, People like my parents, I swear they buy everything on the site, Timu or Temu. I don't know how it's pronounced. T -E yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. They are blitzing the American market, right? So you had this like this one uh, Alibaba who's always there. Like people would be like, oh, I ordered all my party favors for my kid's birthday on Alibaba. You had people here and there that were buying things directly from overseas. Now, Almost all of the in, uh, things that you buy on Instagram, the things that you buy on Timu, like everything's coming directly from China and overseas. I think people are way more comfortable with that idea now that it just became a reality yeah. of their lives. Like this whole made in America thing. That's so far gone compared to where it was a decade ago. That's my opinion. Interesting. So, you know, we went through something like this um, in a very different way when the supply chain issues were like meaningfully stressed, um, we couldn't get debit cards for our customers. So, you know, we have to buy plastic cards with chips and they have to get, you know, packaged and mailed to people. And we got the notice that like, Hey, you know, a it's COVID at the point at the time. So everything is locked up in warehouses. All the old SLAs are broken, you know, in terms of how long you can expect things to take. 
and we were literally calling um, around the world to find out about like container ships that could help our suppliers get like pellets of, of cards over to America. Um, and I, I remember we called people in Morocco, called people in Thailand who, if we could find capacity to move something, we could connect them to the people who are actually doing it and say, hey, we found a place. Can you guys figure out a way to make this work? Um, and the, the lesson for us was actually you know, a debit card for someone, you know, for someone in the, the banking space is a pretty foundational piece of your product. And we then realized that we needed to understand how our suppliers work. And so, you know, we went to the people who, who manufactured and shipped our debit cards saying, where, where are your hubs? You know, they had a West coast one, they had like an East coast one. Okay. You know, what, when do things get delivered? What day of the week? And we started really trying to understand how that works so that when we asked them questions, it wasn't like, three days. Now we can say, well, hang on, you said three days, but I know that things come every set, you know, 10 days into your, into your hub, your shipping hub. Um, so you're saying the next shipment's in three days. Oh, well, it's not all of a sudden you got you get a little smarter about what, like a couple of steps before a product gets to your business. And then it allowed us by the way, to kind of find ways to help them. We were far more effective in talking about, um, how to order, how to, when to order in ways that would be most complementary to their shipping schedule. For example, they get a huge amount of orders at this time of year. If we piggyback on that shipping cost could go down um, because there's so much volume moving. And it was actually one of the most um, like, I, like you start with, I have no idea what logistics around the world looks like. And then you find out you're, you're kind of digging into it, but that, that was one of the lessons that I'll, I'll never forget. And we've kind of used that um, in other places as well. You know, when the banks, you know, were failing at one point last year, there was a couple of these ones that went under um, we asked all of our core suppliers, like, where do you bank? Like, are you, are you guys safe as well? And even if we wouldn't get an honest answer, like who's going to tell you, but it helped us just start thinking about what's the safety. Like, we didn't know where it was going, right? We had no idea where the, the, the dominoes were going to start or stop. So, um, we started thinking about all the risk factors that could impact our own operations. And, and that's, that's really because of what we had done that first time when the debit cards just weren't showing up. Yeah. And, and just to tie it together, like, um, as you sort of just very well pointed out in, in an eloquent fashion, like it just brought a lot of awareness to this and allowed us to manage our businesses and for consumers to manage their shopping, um, a little bit better, just understanding how things worked rather than they just appear on a store yeah. or they appear at your shipping dock on a pallet. Um, that's really interesting. Awesome. Cool. Alex, this was great. Thank you for, uh, for just jamming on me with all these questions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to chat anytime.